And welcome in the strong name of Jesus. It's great to be back. For those that didn't know, Shelly and I spent a week in Rhode Island for our 25th wedding anniversary. We renewed our vows, and it was just a very lovely time. We are so grateful. We missed everybody. A week is a long time on the other side of the United States. Uh, we miss California. We miss our Fresno First family. And uh, Pastor Steve, thank you so much for sharing God's word last week. I uh, really appreciate it. I heard nothing but great things. And if you're new, welcome. We're stoked to be worshiping with you today. And we only ask that you would fill out a connection card so we can go ahead and keep you updated on all the stuff that's happening at the church. And you can stick it in a connection box in the rear of the sanctuary or on the door in the lobby. And with that, let's go to the Lord as God's people of? Oh, yes. We got it. Heavenly Father, we love you. It is through your grace that you sustain us. Thank you for making us on purpose and for purpose. And please forgive us when we rely on ourselves instead of upon you. Forgive us when we wait or when we don't wait and we get ahead of you. Forgive us when we tell you what your will is. And Lord, help us to forgive those that when they act out against us, when we feel cornered, when we feel wronged. Lord, we please allow your truth and your word to be written on our hearts. And we ask you to be present in our community and, and lead us both to live out and to share your love with those around us. We ask you to be a healing balm upon those that are suffering among us. And we thank you, Lord. And we ask this in the name of Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you would, please stand as we enter into worship with song. In Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the lion and the lamb. And we know that he will come again. And it is our God that fights our battles. We don't have to. We have our creator, our redeemer, our deliverer that will stand in the gap if we will wait for him. He's coming. He's coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down. Every chain will break, as broken hearts declare His praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him.
stop the Lord Almighty? Who can 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 stop the Lord Almighty? in something, put our hope in something on this earth, and, and we're failed. But there is one who is unfailing, and that is God. God's love is unfailing. It's a spring that can never be emptied. It's a flood that can never go away. It's a deluge that comes from his holy presence. And he is eternal and so is his love. And his love will never fail. You have us and we are yours forever. You are our strength, God of grace and
thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, this morning is <clears throat> exciting for multiple reasons. And today it's Alabaster Sunday. So two months out of the year, the Church of Nazarene takes a special offering to help build churches and hospitals and, and uh, clinics and and schools and homes for missionaries and, and for pastors. And one of the coolest things about this offering, the majority of it comes collected in coins from kids. And that is amazing. And, and in all transparency and all the Nazarene churches I've been associated with and all my education, no one ever taught me about the alabaster offering. And this is my first so this may be your first two. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get through this awkwardly, and then, um, but we're going to do it in praise of God, and he will cover it with his glory, and it's going to be epic. So let's go pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to invest into your church, invest into your kingdom, and not just in a way of saying, hey, we're going to invest into our local church or just local community. This is global. Lord, this is creative. Lord, I just ask that you take the funds with these new buildings and you bless them. That people would hear your word, that they respond, that they would surrender all they are and become sanctified in these buildings, Lord. That these hospitals would be a place of healing, physical, emotional, and spiritual. I ask that the educational facilities, that whether it's a university or it's a kindergarten or a nursery, Lord, that, that the children would be blessed, that their minds would be open and their hearts would be full of your spirit. And Lord, I just ask that the homes that are built because of this offering, for those that have responded to your call, be a safe space, that your light and your presence would would. Fill it with your love as these missionaries continue to spread your love and your gospel. And in Jesus' name, may it be to your glory. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So for those that would like to help us fill our alabaster church, right there, uh, with compassion. If those of you that would like to invest into the kingdom of God through education, for us that would like to promote the spread of the gospel, if you would like to participate in sharing the mercy of God with those with illnesses, disease, and trauma, or to, be, to provide a refuge by those that are called by God to leave everything and go to the other side of the world, come forward. Come forward as we uh, play a song and, and just put it into the church.
I didn't think that was going to hit me that hard. Uh, I've never witnessed anything like that. Praise God. <laughs> How could he not use that to his glory? <clears throat> so this morning, we're going to be continuing our intimacy with God's series. As we look at the real-life events as King David, as they correspond to the complimentary psalm that King David wrote. King David, when he wrote the songs, a man after God's own heart pours out his soul before God in praise when he writes these psalms. And Psalm 3, which we're going to be focusing on today, is um, King David is fleeing Jerusalem because his son Absalom is overthrowing King David and claimed himself as the king of Israel. And so King David on the, the Mount of Olives writes this psalm of the reading of God's word. And would you please stand for the reading of God's word, Psalm 3? O Lord, how many are my foes? How many are rising against me? How many are saying to me, there is no help for you and God? But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, for the Lord sustains me. I am not afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Rise up, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. This has been the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please remain standing as we continue to worship in song. Till he reaches 
pray for our offering. Lord, this alabaster was amazing. And I ask that, that you would bless our givings and our tithes and our offerings to your glory. Lord, let us be good stewards to honor you, to honor our faith, and to show our community your love. Multiply it your kingdom glory and utilize us to share your light around us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. It's time to pass the peace. So why don't we stand up and go say hi to someone that we haven't said hello to yet or say hello to someone you already have.
Hi. <coughs> you can turn my mic off. Good morning. It's been wonderful to worship with everyone this morning. I just want to cover something real quickly. Um, once again, it's now the first Sunday of October. It's Pastor Appreciation, Appreciation Month. We want to let Jason know that we love you. We appreciate you. We want to make our pastors the focus this month. So throughout the month, please keep pastor in prayer. Um, if you have time to send a card, go have lunch, give him a phone call, let him know you love, but most importantly, pray. And I also want to make notice that, that we're especially blessed in our church to have retired pastors. We have uh, Pastor Jim, Pastor Steve, Pastor Chad. Um, and while you know, I think, Steve, you're, are you technically still on staff? Senior, he's been doing the senior pastor thing for us, and it's been wonderful. But, but these, are, these are the ordained elders of the church, and, and we're so blessed to have them. And also make sure you keep them in prayer and honor them during this month of appreciation. Um, we're also, throughout the whole month, we're going to do a, kind of like a, a love offering through the month and present it on the last Sunday. So keep that in mind as well. You can see Katie, Jordan, or um, just make sure you notate it and put it in the box or online. And uh, most of all, the most important thing is just we love you and we appreciate you. And thank you for everything that you do for all of us. Thank you all. I feel embarrassed. Uh, let's keep Jesus as the focus, and I really would value the prayers. How about that? That work? Okay, nice blend. Uh, we do have a couple announcements. Grow Group is coming November 2nd at 6.30 p.m. Uh, the new books are going to be out here, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday. They're in transit, uh, according to Amazon. Uh, Family Life Group is every single Sunday from at 9.30. Pastor Chad is le leading it. Uh, and now we have, uh, we are blessed to be able to have somebody to corral and, um, and just live out the gospel in real time with the kids. And so this, that's exciting as well. And then our basics Bible study is on Wednesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Uh, it's, it's an amazing uh, grow group as we get together, share life around God's word, and then look at how... Uh, Scripture can relate to our life in real life, and we try to open up the, the scriptures in a way that we get into the narrative. We, we ask some, some awesome questions, and there's commentary from everybody has a voice in it. It's a great time. I encourage everybody to be there. And then right now, I'd like to ask Carrie to come on up, who's going to share about uh, yesterday with a women's tea. We really had a good time yesterday. I think if I counted correctly, we had about 17 women show up, which was awesome. We had lots of goodies, many of which are to share for with the rest of you out here on the table. When you leave, please help yourself. Um, when I first brought up having a women's tea, I called Timmy. I said, what do you think? I said, I just, I want to have a get together for the women. And Timmy thought it was a great idea, and she was excited, and she encouraged me over and over, and, and I appreciate that encouragement. And then um, I got in touch with Janelle, and Janelle said, of course, and she said, Ashley's great. So Ashley got involved, and she got, I said, she said, well, Janelle said, I want to send out a flyer, and I said, no, I want to send out individual invitations. I want to mail them out, just, I want it to be more personal. And I owe Lori an apology because for some reason she did not get an invitation. And I really feel bad. Um, but it was exciting to see how many women came. We opened with prayer. We um, had a great time of visiting. And I won't tell you that Janelle stole your lesson. But anyway, she borrowed it. She just borrowed. <laughs> um, so we went through Genesis and your drawings on the board with all the women, Janelle did, and did a great job of that, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> and I actually got to see it, which I couldn't see Wednesday night, so that was nice. But um, we just had a really, just a, a nice visit, nice time with the women around the tables. and. Um, they were, they were told on the invitation that, given the choice, they could bring their own teacup or 
If not, they could choose one that was provided there. And so many of them brought their own teacups and then they shared what that teacup meant to them and why it was important and why they brought it. And um, we just had a wonderful time. And I would like to do something in the spring. And thank you all for, for helping out. That was just, that was awesome. Uh, one more uh, quick announcement. We're still looking for a treasurer. So could, I hope everybody's praying about that. And that would be a huge blessing for us. Uh, I know the Lord is speaking to a couple of you specifically. And I would ask that you respond. And with that, okay, so we kind of missed September because uh, uh, Shelly and I were gone last week, but we don't want to forsake the birthdays and anniversaries of September. So we're going to continue this tradition. So when I read the name, you get, we get one clap, right? So we're going to practice. Um, Jesus. Perfect. Okay. September birthdays. Kevin Sherbon. Lisette Lancaster Spence. Ethan Spence. Timmy Holstein. Uh, Frank Barenta. Anniversaries, Eli and Jennifer Ramos, and Jason and Shelley McEachran. Fantastic. Yes, I love celebrating together. And if you have your Bibles or your apps, we're going to be landing in 2 Samuel 15, 10 through 14, and verse 30. Uh, we've already read Psalm 3. In your pew Bible, it's going to be on page 255 to 256. In the past week, uh, Shelly and I learned a lot about waiting. It seemed that every place we went, we had to wait. The airlines, the rental cars, food, entertainment, getting across the street, driving in traffic, everything seemed to be a waiting game. And one of the things I noticed is that we can't get away from waiting. It's just kind of part of life. From womb to the tomb, sometimes it feels like we're this, in this constant state of waiting. In the womb, we're waiting to, to break forth and be born. When we're newborn infants, we're waiting for someone to change our diaper or to feed us. And if we don't happen soon enough, we're going to throw a temper tantrum and let the world know. Sometimes we still do that. If we wait too long, or, um, or for kids, um, our kids wait for summer to, to come and school to get out, or maybe school to start, or the next season of fun. Teens and young adults are always waiting to go ahead and, and hang out with their friends and get together. We wait in lines at amusement parks. We wait for test results. We wait for job promotions. We, we wait for our loved ones to get home from work. And then we also wait for our spouse to get ready when we're already running late. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> nothing personal left. The, and then at the DMV, we, it's ironic, we wait in line to get a driver's license so we can sit in the car and wait in traffic. You know, and all joking aside, sometimes the most difficult times of waiting are those times in, in great seasons of adversity when, when God just seems to have stopped listening or God becomes inactive. And that's no joking matter. It's in those seasons of dry spiritual act, uh, seasons when our, or when our health turns bad. Maybe we're waiting for God to, to heal a relationship of a, between us and a friend or, or maybe between some family members or with a spouse or something to do with our kids or, or it goes on. And in fact, the case, waiting takes on an extra burden, an extra weight. And sometimes it feels that God has either abandoned us or maybe forgotten about us because we've been waiting so long and we just want the waiting to end. We want a resolution. We want an answer. Yes, no, great. Maybe, I don't know. I don't want that one. I just want to know. You see, waiting is not for the faint of heart. Waiting is either going to break us or waiting will set us free in our faith. And if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word, 2 Samuel 15, 10 through 14, and verse 30. Ooh. I thought it was in there. I will read it. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then shout, Absalom has become king at Hebron. 
200 men from Jerusalem went to Absalom. They were inviting guests, and they went in their innocence, knowing nothing of the matter. While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Philophel, the Gilanite, David's, David's counselor from his city of Goliath. The conspiracy grew in strength, and people with Absalom kept increasing. A messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the Israelites have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all of his officials who were with him at Jerusalem, Get up, let us flee, or there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Hurry, or he will soon overtake us and bring the disaster upon us and attack the city with the edge of the sword. But David went up to the up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, with his head covered and walking barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went. This has been the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Absalom couldn't wait. Waiting doesn't come easy for us, especially in our, our fast-paced, ever-changing culture. Uh, it reinforces, and our culture reinforces our personal rights over social and corporate holiness. Our culture encourages us to elevate our hopes and our dreams and our desires to be more important than everybody else's hopes, dreams, and desires, and even more important than God at times. And this morning, we're opening our text as a comparison in waiting. To be like King David, a man after God's own heart, or King David's son, Absalom, who impatiently gets in front of God and takes these matters into his own hands. You see, Absalom couldn't wait. He was the third son of King David. In many ways, Absalom was the, the golden child. I don't know if anybody have, have ever had known anybody who was like one of those golden children that everything they touch is perfect. They never mess up. Everything they do is, excels and they do nothing wrong and everything they touch turns to gold. But like so many biblical figures, the tragedy that strikes Absalom is, echoes our own stories of tragedy. See, through a series of events, Absalom allowed resentment and hatred and self-promotion to drive him to take what didn't belong to him rather than waiting on God and God's timing. We do the same thing. How many times, if don't raise your hand, have you heard or said something along the lines of, <laughs> they deserve what they got? Or I have earned this. I sacrifice to have that. I have a right to do that. Or I have a right to have that. And you all fill in the blank of whatever that is. See, Absalom was said to be charismatic. He was handsome. The Bible even goes to great lengths to describe his hair and how awesome it was. And by the world's standards, Absalom had every single thing anybody could ever want. Absalom could easily say, I earn that. I have a right to that. And then if something goes wrong with someone else, they deserved what they got. And it reminds me of Proverbs 27.20. Death, destruction, and the human eye are never satisfied. There's something about that insatiable appetite for achievement that nurtures resentment and the gnawing bitterness of unresolved incidents within our heart. And we find ourselves increasingly distant from God as we seek our personal needs over that of God's will. So I got a question before we get into the story of Absalom. Just think about these things. What length would you go to right a wrong that is done to you? What length would you go to right a wrong that was done to someone you love? Would you lay in wait? Would you plan revenge? You see, when we hold grievances that come from adversity, sometimes we hear ourselves say, God, either you do something or I will. And that's where we find Absalom. Absalom had this beautiful, innocent sister named Tamar. And King David's oldest son, Amnon, who was Absalom's half-brother, fell in love with Tamar. 
He, could, he got obsessed with Tamar. He seduced Tamar and then the next day rejected her in disgrace. Tamar was humiliated. She had no place to go. And Absalom was enraged. For two years, Absalom kept silent as he sheltered his sister grieving in his home. Absalom expected his dad, King David, Tamar's dad, King David, to punish their eldest brother, Amnon, for his his actions. And yet, King David did not respond in a manner that fit or satisfied Absalom. And in this, over years of growing resentment and this gnawing of of trying to wait, trying to wait, and finally it's that fine, I'll do something if no one else will moment. He enacts revenge. And he invites all of his brothers, all of King David's sons together at a great banquet and saying that he's going to honor every single one of them. And at his cue, Amnon is killed by soldiers to enact Absalom's revenge because he just couldn't wait. He couldn't let it go. He couldn't give it up. Absalom felt that he had the right to do that. And after the assassination, he fled to his grandfather's home for three years. And uh, Scripture says that every single day that Absalom was gone, King David mourned for his son day after day until the day three years later, Absalom finally comes back. And now Absalom and his, and his dad, King David, they're together, kind of a not that great of a relationship, but they're in the same city. And soon Absalom starts looking around and ambition starts stirring his heart and he wants a promotion. He can do things better. He doesn't like who's in charge and he doesn't want to wait. And he begins to undermine King David's authority and speak ill against King David because Absalom couldn't wait on God. And under pretense of honoring a vow, as we read in our scripture this morning, Absalom goes to Hebron to gather an army. And he couldn't wait. He didn't seek God. He didn't seek godly counsel. He just sought those internal things within himself that said, I need this. I need it now, and I'm going to take it myself. And he made himself king by proclamation of the masses, by false proclamation under false pretense. And soon he led a rebellion against King David, and King David and his followers fled Jerusalem. You know, like Absalom, we get impatient. We want it now, and we want it our way, and, we, and if someone we know is hurt, We want that responsible party to be held accountable and punished. And if they aren't held accountable or they aren't punished in a way that we find suiting or fit, we're not going to stop. If our desires and ambitions and wants are not met, we'll take it. And if we can't get it, we'll take our ball and we will go home. You know, as Christians, we... We speak and we say, oh, God provides and God's provision and his will and his timing. And most of the time, my experience is that it's just a bunch of lip service. We don't wait. We don't wait on God. We don't pray it through. There's an old, old saying before, well before my time, you pray it all the way through. And that's when there is something ahead of you. That is an obstacle that only God can move. And you wait on God and you keep praying until he moves the obstacle. You don't crash through it. You don't undermine it. You don't go around it. You don't go over it. You wait on God to do God's job. And our job is to wait and pray sometimes. You see, sometimes we forget the promises of God. Proverbs 16, 3 through 4. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for a purpose. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Rely, on your not, rely not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. We forget God's promises. 
We get ahead of God. We lose the big picture because we get something in our head and we have to have it now. Whatever that is. And we push things out of the way, push people out of the way so that we can fulfill whatever is important to us at that moment. And we forget the big kingdom picture because we're so distracted and disengaged and looking at this temporal, temporary time, we forget that God works on eternal time. You know, and when time is of the essence, I've been there. In some ways, I'm there in some parts of my life in this waiting game. And sometimes it just feels like each second has this weight, and each second has meaning, and each second has impact. And it's almost like this eternal clock with this, with this second hand going... How much more can we wait? And when we start focusing on our problems, we stop casting our eyes upward and forward upon God's will and his promises. And we begin to look downward and inward for those internal dialogues that drives our impatience. And in our rush, we fail to recognize the big picture and we fail to simply look up to God to sustain us. Have you ever noticed that even in our culture, silence is almost a forgotten trait? Look at this when you're in line at the stores or people are having meals to be served. And this is also on the East Coast, by the way. This isn't a California-specific thing. Or even in traffic. People are pulling out their schedules, pulling out their phones, checking out the next segment of their day, downloading things, posting things on social media, scanning their apps or their phones because they just can't wait. And that's not bad in and of itself, all right? I'm a planner. I like to make the best use of, of the time that the Lord has given me. And that said, I like to get on my phone. I like to do my scheduling and all that kind of stuff. But we forget whose time life really belongs to, and it's not us. The life we have, the time we have is a gift by God, but it belongs to him. You know, and in our own patience, what we do unknowingly, I know no one would ever do this on purpose, but unknowingly, we, we, we give God a helping hand to be God. That old saying, let go and let God, turns into let go of God and just go. And, and our patience is endangered in our culture. And even for the briefest moments, to wait on the Lord can feel like a lifetime of adversity, especially when the big things in life and the big issues are near impossible to wrap our minds around. See, like Absalom, we, we no longer find ourselves waiting on God to reconcile relationships. We stop waiting on God to heal our aches or heal our pains. We, we stop waiting on God to tend to our loved ones or to help with the promotion or to fix the broken things or to act on our hearts concerned or to just do something. And then we begin to be inclined to take matters into our own hands. When we say, hey, I'll just do it. I'll take care of it. And then something... When something threatens us or someone around us or we don't like the person in charge or we just can't live through the pain and maybe that secure future that we had for so long becomes unsecure in the blink of an instant. We realize that action must be taken and action must be taken now and if God won't do it, we'll do it. And like Absalom, we do it without prayer, we do it without godly counsel and we do it without scripture or we'll abuse scripture to justify our actions. And the, the end result is us ceasing to rely on God's timing. We cease to act on God's will. We, we begin to set schedules and priorities and desires of our own and push it on God. And when this happens, whether we're waiting in traffic or at the doctor's office for test results or for finances to turn around or even for a cup of coffee, each second begins to feel like an eternity because something happens, has to happen, and we get restless, irritable, and discontent. And that frustration and restlessness fuels our souls and hinders our ability to see God. It limits our prayers and it stunts our faith. And instead of going in the direction with God, we find ourselves pulling back. It doesn't have to be like that. 
We don't have to take our circumstances into our own hands and plan out our own agendas like Absalom and then no longer seek God in his timing, but instead put it on ours. And then all of a sudden we ask ourselves the question, why does it seem like God's moving in my life? He's moving in everybody else's. Maybe God's just waiting for us to stop and wait on him. Maybe he actually is moving. Maybe there's a bigger picture we're missing because we're going at it alone. You see, in verse 30, King David shares that God sustains us. He goes up to the Mount of Olives. He does so weeping. He covers his head and he's walking barefoot in humility. God, man, King David is a man after God's own heart. He faces adversity. His daughter has been violated. One of, or his sons have been killed. And the other one just throw overthrown from, from the throne. King David doesn't go and act vengeance and try to get some short-term solution to a long-term problem. He goes up before the Lord and he waits. He waits. After his family's been destroyed, after he's been forced out of his career, after his name has been slandered, after he has lost everything, the king is to the kingdom. He just goes and prays. He goes up to the mountain olive and he waits. And the, see, the Mount of Olives is really cool. It, it's a prominent location throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's actually Mount of Olives is first mentioned here in our text this morning, where King David takes refuge from, uh, out of Jerusalem and weeps on it. Again, we see the Mount of Olives in Zechariah 14.4 as a prophecy of the coming Messiah. Is the, the Mount of Olives becomes this holy place of waiting, of God's presence, of God's promises to come true if we will hold them out. The Mount of Olives is a place where our Lord and Savior got on his knees and prays, your will be done, not mine. See, it's during this time of waiting on God and seeking the Lord that David recognizes the reality of his pain that comes with waiting. He didn't have to. He chose to. David, King David, knows the pains and struggles of waiting. And when you, are wait, when you do wait on God, he meets you in his faithfulness. And in his faithfulness, he sustains us through that adversity. And in there, King David writes Psalm 3. And, and Psalm 3, as we read this morning, is, like I said, it's written on the Mount of Olives. And David shows his faith in the eternal God who is not bound by temporary circumstances, even when everybody else is saying, God has abandoned you. God's left you. Take matters into your own hands. He doesn't retaliate around the situation around him. In the middle of this adversity, David goes and reinforces his faith with God and pins Psalm 3. He describes God as a shield. Think of that the next time you're waiting. God is a shield about you. His glory. When you can't wait more, one more longer, Wait in God's glory. The head that lifts you up. When you don't know what to do, and you've been waiting so long because of the pain of whatever it is, whether it's family, eternal, physical, spiritual, whatever it is, and you can't lift your eyes up, God will. The one that answers. The... Uh, <clears throat> Our kids <clears throat> like to tease me because you know, where, wherever I am in the house and wherever Shelly's in the house, <clears throat> if I want her attention, Shell! 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 And they know what I'm looking for. I don't move. I just wait. And eventually, I'll hear an answer. <laughs> what? I'm coming. What's up? In our waiting, when we call out to God, 
Are we patient enough to hear, yes, what's going on? And deliverer, David describes God as a deliverer in the time of waiting and a blessing of the people. David draws close to God, and in that waiting, in our waiting, God will give us rest. David writes, I laid, this is after he just got thrown out of Jerusalem, and he's on the Mount of Olives. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, for the Lord sustains me. In our waiting, God sustains us. In our waiting, when we think we're exhausted and we can't rest, God will give us rest. Rest is available to those that trust and rely on God. But it means we have to take our eyes off the insurmountable bills and the panic and the financial stresses and the lack of time and the unknown future and whatever's going to go and those late nights at work and the breaking down of our health and the breaking down of our relationships and that secure future that is no longer secure and cast our eyes upon God who sustains us. The God that is a shield about us. The God that becomes our glory when we stand in, our presence, when in his presence. The God that lifts our eyes up when our eyes and hearts are cast down. The God that delivers, blesses, and the God that does answer. Because he does. This is our God. The God that sustains us in our waiting and transforms us in our struggle. And it's in that waiting that God gives waiting purpose. You know, in, uh, in Genesis 1, everything has a purpose. Hasn't changed. Nothing grows without adversity. Nothing grows without tension. Nothing grows without struggle, and that includes our faith. And when we wait on God to sustain us, it's more than just one day at a time, although sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes it feels like a second at a time. When we wait on God, something happens in our intimacy with God. Intimacy, again, into me, you see. We open ourselves up in full transparency and authenticity and genuality before God, and we let him see us in our waiting. And in that, it gives us purpose, because in that, he forms us. And the more we wait for him, the more we look for him. The more we look for him, the more we rely on him. The more we rely on him, the more we draw close to him. It's a sanctifying moment when we wait on God. Because when we're waiting on God, we're putting aside all, everything that doesn't matter, or it could matter, but everything we can't do alone. And we surrender our whole hearts to God to take care of it. And we realize that we aren't going to touch anything in our waiting until God is with us. And God moves. See, for David, waiting began with seeking God and doing so. And the Lord continued to form David, who is a man after God's own heart. David messed up a lot. That's why David's one of my heroes. I mean, he's definitely not a perfect man. He was very imperfect. But he's a man after God's own heart. And that gives me hope. And in adversity... David is sustained by God, and, and waiting becomes an opportunity for David to be transformed, an opportunity to surrender more and more of himself over to God, more and more over himself to God's plans, and more importantly, more and more to surrender to God's holy, transforming love. And in that, David was perfect. Did he live life perfectly? No, but he loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is amazing. And rather than seeking his rights, which you would think King David had quite a bit, he surrenders those over to God as well. Waiting on God on the Mount of Olives in this sacred place, this holy place of full surrender in the presence of God for God's will to be done. And in the provision of God, when we focus on that, it takes our focus off our temporary uh, circumstances and, and we have this respite. We get to fully give all of our rights over to God knowing that he is more righteous than we ever will be. And he's not slow to keep his promises that we just need to wait and he is truly active even when we don't see it. See, it's in God's redeeming love that the troubles of life, the, the valley of the shadow of death become the light of life. 
becomes a wellspring. And our experience, if we can hold through, will help us to minister to those that are going through it after us. I've had the experience to get through things and then help other people along their journey. And I tell you what, that's where healing happens. Wait on God. Got a story about a family that was vacationing near a lake. Uh, <clears throat> mom's up at the house. Dad's at the boat dock or the, the boat house. Uh, two sons, a 12 and a 3-year-old, they're playing on the dock. A uh, 12-year-old is supposed to be watching a 3-year-old. 12-year-old gets distracted. 3-year-old sees the shiny aluminum fishing boat. Steps on the boat. Steps on the dock. We know what happens. That 3-year-old falls in. Water's five to six feet deep. With a splash, the 12-year-old screams, alerts dad. Dad sees only one son on the dock. Starts running down. Dives in. <clears throat> goes to the bottom. Searches around until he can't breathe anymore. And he sees nothing. The water's murky. He comes up, gets a, some fresh air. By this time, <clears throat> mom is running down screaming. Dives down and goes down searching around under the dock, searching around, all this kind of stuff. Uh, can't hold his breath anymore. Comes up next to a pylon of the dock, one of those pillars, and then brushes his son's arm. Son was four feet down, holding on to a dock pillar. As if life itself, he was holding on. The dad had to pry the little, the story goes, the dad pried the fingers off, little Billy's fingers off the pylon, holds them in his arms, shoots to the surface, they break the surface, they fill their lungs with life, refreshing air. <clears throat> and then finally after the, the, uh, the adrenaline died down and the nerves were settled and mom had tended to Billy, dad says, son, what were you doing holding down there? holding on to that pillar underwater. And Billy's answer, laced with the wisdom of only a toddler, said, I was just waiting on for you, Dad. Just waiting for my dad. <clears throat> so let's humbly begin to wait on God, to draw near our good Father, and abide like King David, uh, King David to find our Mount of Olives, a holy, sacred place of abiding in God's eternal presence as we wait on God together. So our challenge this week, it's in your bulletins on the back, the where in my life do I need to rely on God to sustain me? Would you please stand to receive a blessing? May you go in the peace that surpasses all understanding. May you practice waiting on God as you connect, grow, and serve in our communities to his glory and honor. And may you be a blessing. And may you bless your sent in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.